Every sports fan has an opinion. Well, these are ours. Ours. Welcome to Brock and Pep's unsportsmanlike convo. And here are your hosts, Brock Fleming and Pep Cariotti. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of 2020. Pierre, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Ladies and oh, gentlemen, what's the chairman what? <laughs> of the WWE, Mr. McMahon? No chance. King of a huge night here on Monday Night Raw, live from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I uh, cannot believe I'm playing wrestling walkout ah. music on our show. Hey, listen, it only took me a whole 20, all of 2019 to uh, convert you over to uh, the WWE, but we're not going to be talking about WWE later. We're going to be talking about the XFL and their chairman and CEO, Vince McMahon, <laughs> Vinnie Mac. Vinnie uh, Mac. Wow. Happy New Year, buddy. Happy New Year to you, too. You had a good holidays? I had a great holiday. I uh, went to see um, I went to see a Sens game. Um, I did some some stuff. I saw some people I hadn't had a chance to see. It was just lovely. Uh, you and I took a short break, but uh, we still had a chance to podcast a couple of episodes. So for our listeners, if you hadn't had a chance to listen to the episodes before Christmas, maybe you were too busy. If you go back, Brock and I had a chance to fire off a, I think two be, uh, while I was on holidays. So um, the first certainly the first week and the second week I know we recorded twice. One from Stanley's. The knife fight. Remember that? The knife fight. <laughs> Those punk kids. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, over the last, uh, I would say, what, two months, a lot of the feedback we've received has been positive. And one of the things our fans wanted to, uh, fans, <laughs> our listeners, uh, fans, I guess. Fans, yeah, hey, fans whatever. Um, wanted to see and or hear, specifically hear, is, um, you know, shorter segments microcasts, I think was the term. So we're trying to keep our segment short, but we have a lot to talk about. We're pretty passionate. So we're going to try and keep it short today. We got a little XFL in the, in the second part of our show, but Brock, we got, uh, I guess, headlines, social room headlines. What would you call this? Uh, I don't know. Head- See what headlines? I'm saying. See what I'm saying. See what I'm saying. <laughs> See what I'm saying. Uh, That's what we call it. I love it. Curtis 20, Fleming. 2020 will bring on saying? some new transition music i promise i love it um so before we get into the xfl why don't we just uh talk about some of this you see what i'm saying headlines (laughs) so uh yeah Yeah. college football for those who are uh watching college football bowl season was over the holidays that (laughs) along with the world juniors gets me pumped but bowl season has come and gone for the most of the teams the florida gators have uh, been victorious against uh, Virginia. I did lose $20 because I didn't cover the spread. Uh, but the other main <laughs> bowls, the semifinals, have been decided. Um, Oklahoma got uh, destroyed by LSU. And uh, Ohio State-Clemson game was very good, very tight. A couple of questionable calls here and there. So depending on who you ask, they may or may not be upset. Uh, but Clemson ended up victorious in that as well. So we have a LSU Clemson national championship game going January 13th, featuring uh, Joe Burrows uh, versus Trevor Lawrence, two of the top quarterbacks uh, in college football at this point. Okay, without uh, over analysis, who you got? 
Uh, I got LSU. I'm an SEC homer uh, at heart, and I think uh, they're just going to be a little bit too much to handle. Although Clemson played very well against Ohio State, but I think LSU is uh, literally on a different level. Uh, Laissez les bons temps rouler, baby. LSU, I'm going LSU. Uh, go Tigers, G-E-A-U-X. Go Tigers. Tigers. <laughs> uh, that's my call, too. Uh, World Juniors? Yeah. Oh, Canada. Good job. They came back uh, after losing to Russia handily in the round-robin series, 6 uh, nothing or something, and uh, they bounced back to face them in the gold medal and, uh, and win. And they held off a, a very strong Russia team who lost its composure a little bit at the end. But other than that, I think Canada dominated. Uh, their song, The Back in Black, I should have had that on, uh, on play right now because the kids are wearing their black jerseys and they continued to wear their black jerseys and they loved the energy that it, they brought. And hey, they, they, they represented very well. Absolutely. And their goaltender played really well. That wasn't the guy that started the tournament. Yeah. Um, Lafreniere, Alexi Lafreniere is going to be a, a superstar in the NHL, I think. And their captain, Hayton, came out of, uh, you know, he was injured pretty badly the game before. And, you know, he came out much like Willis Reed came out in the 70s uh, with a broken leg to beat Will Chamberlain in the finals of the uh, NBA. It had that feel to it, like a hero's welcome. So uh, congratulations to Team Canada. Super pumped. And uh, I love I love this time of year. Oh, it's great because not only do you have the bowl games and the world juniors, but you also got the NFL playoffs starting as well. Yeah, we're in uh, full NBA mode. The All-Star game is coming up soon. Uh, we, You and I are going to do a show on All-Star games and skills and what needs to change in every league. I think it's just so boring, but uh, I'm not going to go into that. I just want to give a shout out to the Raptors who are... Hanging in there, hanging tough without Marcus Gasol, without Fred Van Vliet, without Pascal Siakam, and without Norm Powell. Uh, they're playing a bunch of uh, D-League guys from the 905 and a couple of cast-offs from other teams, and they're hanging in there. And tonight, right now, as we speak, they're beating Charlotte 82-81, to 81, start of the fourth quarter. So, you know, they're in every game, and they're and you got to give Nick Nurse all kinds of credit. So, um, Chris Boucher, one of my favorite players. <laughs> I gave you the air horn there, and I initially it started with uh, for the Raptors, but I think it's because you quoted uh, Backstreet Boys on your uh, thing just now. So uh, what did I say? What? Uh, Back- damn it! Huh? What did you just say? You said something was a Backstreet Boy <laughs> lyric. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Uh, I guess last but not least, the NFL. Yeah. So hey, we two surprise upsets last weekend. Uh, Minnesota beat the Saints, and the Tennessee Titans beat the Patriots. Um, other games was uh, Seattle had beat Philadelphia. Philadelphia had lost Carson Wentz very early in the game with the Javon Clowney hit, so concussion protocol. So it ended up being uh, uh, McCown. McCown? Josh McCown, yeah. Josh McCown. 40-year-old Josh McCown. Back in, yeah, 15 teams or somebody he's played for. Anyway, uh, yeah. came in, couldn't quite uh, finish it off, but uh, Seattle – won that game, and the other one was uh, Houston over Buffalo, which was a back-and-forth game. Uh, Bills took a 60 nothing lead, which, if you listen to the announcers, seemed like it was a, they're blowing a 40 nothing lead. A um, <laughs> couple of questionable uh, decisions, I would say, of uh, from Bills players. Some inexperience shown for uh, Josh Allen, but, um, you know, heartache. They still had an opportunity, even despite yeah. some of those mistakes. But again, heartache for the uh, Buffalo Bills fans. Yeah, once again, lovable losers. So this week we get into the uh, divisional rounds. 
So we have four games on the docket. We have Seattle at Green Bay and Minnesota at four, at San Francisco in the NFC. And then in the AFC, we got Houston at KC and Tennessee at Baltimore. You want to give us uh, your picks? Okay. I'll, I'll start with the uh, with the AFC with Tennessee visiting Baltimore. Uh, I, I just think Baltimore's uh, too much momentum. Uh, speaking of momentum, though, Tennessee's rolling in, having played you know the last four games almost like playoff football, just trying to get into the playoffs. Uh, now that they're in, they put a whoop into the Patriots uh, with a you know basically a kick-ass running game and a little bit of play action and a good solid defense. And you mentioned one of their linebackers; his name slips my mind right now, but Evans, e- Evans? Evans, yeah, Alabama kid, I think. But he had a so, spectacular yeah. game against the Patriots and made some game-changing stops when the Patriots were within the 10 yard line. Does it make sense to put a spy on a guy like Lamar Jackson? If you're playing defense, if you're scheming against them, you know, people do that. Again, I don't want to get too far in, but I really don't think uh, it's wise because a spy generally mimics where that quarterback is on the field. So he's kind of like when the quarterbacks, he starts in the middle of the field, the quarterback drops back, he's in the middle. And then if he starts to roll to the one side, he follows him and whatever. There is nobody in this league that can outflank Lamar Jackson to the sidelines. So your spy is rendered useless if he can't be faster or fast enough to contain him. So you need to have multiple players. You need to have a scheme that keeps Lamar Jackson in the pocket. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I don't see enough speed on the defensive end for Tennessee to overcome Lamar Jackson. But I do see a little bit of rust. You know, Baltimore, they had a bye week. Plus the week before, they played their uh, their bench players against Pittsburgh in the last week of the season. So uh, I'm going to go with Baltimore ultimately with a sort of a 21-17 low-scoring defensive affair. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if Tennessee pulled this off because, like I said, they've been playing rugged playoff football for almost a month. So... Uh, I'm going to give Baltimore the edge. They're going to come out a little rusty, but I think they're going to ultimately prevail. Uh, we have Houston visiting Kansas City. I, there's really nothing to analyze. Kansas City is loaded, and I think Houston just got out of that Buffalo game um, just barely. You know, so yeah. I like Kansas City by like a by a 15 or 20 point margin. So I'm going to go 30 to 16 for Kansas City. Uh, on the NFC side, we have the Minnesota Vikings, who upset the Saints. Um, you know, I think nobody picked the Vikings uh, to have a chance in that game even, but they showed me a lot on the defensive end specifically. I just don't think they have enough to go into San Francisco and beat a team that's really riding high. Young coach, a lot of enthusiasm, three running backs they can throw at you, great offensive line, good receivers, and the best tight end in pro football. So I'm going to go 24-14 to 14 for the San Francisco 49ers. And the last game, I believe the Seahawks are in Green Bay. Uh, I'm taking the Seahawks in an upset. Uh, It's going to be, I don't think it's going to be as high scoring as people make it out to be. And I just think the Seahawks have this sort of edge, uh, this uh, wild card us against the world kind of feel to them because they're going to be on the road during the whole playoffs. So I have the Seahawks in a 24 to 17 victory over the Green Bay Packers. How about you? What do you take, bruh? Uh, It's uh, I think my upset watch is Tennessee over Baltimore. Uh, I think with the way Derrick Henry's been running and the way the offensive line of Tennessee's been playing, their best strategy in terms of limiting Lamar Jackson is to keep their offense on the field for long, sustainable drives. And that involves giving the rock to the 6'4", 200 and whatever he is, 40 pounds of sheer muscle running downhill. And if he can 
continue what he's been doing, which has been absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal in November and December, um, then I think they, they actually have a shot. And the weather and being outside um, definitely helps that. So, um, but ultimately, I think Baltimore probably takes it because I just think Lamar Jackson is that big of a weapon. Uh, you talk about rust, and there could very well be rust based on two weeks, but what do you do when you're rusty? You go back to what's natural, which means that he will be looking to run and make plays with his legs because maybe his decision-making or maybe the arm has a bit of rust, but his legs sure don't. So yeah. look at him to be a, a a difference maker as he has been all season, but uh, that'll be the biggest thing. But I think if there was going to be an upset this week, I think Tennessee is is up there for me. Hey, he led the NFL in rushing. I, I, I see that happening. Potentially, I see that as your as the one upset of the of the weekend. So good call. Well, I give it like a twenty four twenty one Baltimore, um, and I just keep, think it's going to be tight. I think Houston KC is going to be uh, the highest points for the weekend. I think KC takes it. I think Houston was lucky to get through uh, Buffalo as it is, um, and KC's a completely different beast, and they're a team who's been there before and want to have some redemption on how they finished last season. So I think KC takes them and uh, beats them fairly handily. Uh, Minnesota 49ers. <clears throat> I'd love to say Minnesota because all season I've yet to get on this 49ers train and belief that they're actually as good as they are, but, man, they've been sh- proving me otherwise. Um, so at home, I think the Niners take it. I think they run the ball fairly uh, well against Minnesota and force Cousins into a throwing type situation, in which case um, I think the 49ers defense probably turned the ball over a couple times. <clears throat> the last game, I got Seattle-Green Bay. If Russell Wilson beats Green Bay at home, I think he's got to automatically go into the MVP uh, conversation. Not that he shouldn't be right now, but um, he's been doing stuff with very little with Seattle. Uh, his receiving core has been beat up. His running backs are non-existent. Marshawn Lynch is their goal line back de facto because he's just a big dude. Homer brings nothing to the game. Um, so No tight they, ends. No tight ends. Uh, yeah, because yeah, his his main uh, target there uh, is, uh, what's the name, Darby? Is that uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, was out early in the season. Uh, so he's been just, it's been band-aids after band-aid on that team, putting it together, and he's been getting them this far. So if they happen to be Green Bay, you know, kudos to, to Russell Wilson. But I think Green Bay takes it. Lambeau, you know, I know Seattle has the 12th man, but Lambeau's a different place to play as well. Uh, I think uh, I think Rodgers at home is very dangerous. I think the defense... Uh, for Green Bay, kind of steps up and and contains Russell Wilson for the most part. But um, so I got Green Bay, the Niners, KC, uh, and Baltimore. So predominantly the favorites, but I think Tennessee would be on the upset watch. And these as, these, as the playoffs roll along, these these games become much harder to predict. I'd say out of, out of the weekend, I'd say the only sure shot for me is Kansas City, and the, the, every other game can go uh, either way. And Minnesota, if they run the ball like they ran the ball against uh, against New Orleans with Dalvin Cook, who I took in my fantasy and was uh, a monster, uh, then you, the, all bets are off. So, uh, love this weekend. This is the, some of the best football is this weekend. I know they, you know, arguably the wild card weekends are supposed to be the best. This is, this can be really, really fun this weekend. So, uh, I look forward to watching it. Um, 
Hey, good picks. Good picks, bro. The only thing I would have done differently is if the reseeding had happened and it was a Seattle versus 49ers and a Minnesota versus Green Bay in the NFC. I think those games would have been instant classics. But this is when the NFL season really starts within the playoffs. The regular season, I only watch because of fantasy football. It's really... As we'll talk with the XFL, I think there's there's some ways to improve that game. Anyway, we're going to take a break, but we're going to go to uh, a special break song. So over the holidays, what? we had uh, a beer miss. For those who don't know, beer must is uh, beer must beer must. It's uh, put on by Scott and Leanne Cavanaugh. Uh, oh, it's not Cavanaugh. It's Endicott. Scott and Leanne yeah. Endicott. Eee, sorry. Eee. Eee. I just I just gave her the pants in the relationship. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we they put it on every year, and for the last uh, couple a uh, couple years they've had a karaoke machine going, and um, <laughs> we've been fortunate enough to have our very own Pep do a little rendition of Toto's Africa, and that's, oh. we're going out to that for the break. We'll be right back. Yikes. All right, so that was uh, Pep at Beermas karaokeing Toto's Africa. And you have oh. some cameos from, I think you can hear my voice, you can hear the uh, signature laugh of uh, Curtis <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, but there's probably 20 or so people down in that basement uh, singing along with you. So uh, anyway, kudos. It was pretty good. Uh, I found that on my phone. I realized I've been Hey, listen, uh, I now if I look forward to Beermas. Thanks, Scott Endicott and Leanne for... Uh, hosting again this year it's one of the things i really look forward to every christmas now this is our my third annual beer miss third or fourth uh but i i check it off on my calendar uh, sometime in mid-december to note that uh i will be attending a party on a friday or a saturday so thanks for hosting <laughs> i know it's not easy to host you know you feel like you have to amuse everybody and uh, they do such a good job of it so thanks guys i pre- appreciate you guys having us yeah they do uh, a very good job scott cooks up a big uh, feast for uh, yes. midnight or whatever he serves it. And, um, you know, they got uh, beer tasters. They're tasters, Pep, just to clarify, because the first year I went, I grabbed one and I started drinking from it and they were flabbergasted that I, he's take he took a whole one. He took a whole one. <laughs> They're samples, Brock. He took a whole one. I said, what? I didn't this see is, a rule. I didn't see any rules. <laughs> there's nothing up there. <laughs> I didn't see no list of rules. Oh, anyway. <laughs> Uh, before we get into our next topic, Brock, I, I just want to give a shout out to Nick Nurse and the job he's doing with uh, depleted. And when I say depleted, I mean, there's guys from the 905 that are playing heavy minutes now for the Raptors. And they're still, you know, I think they're fourth in the East. You know, 
he's doing it right now without Van Vliet, Siakam, who are their two best players next to Lowry, Gasol, and Norm Powell. So that's four of your five starters are out. And uh, guys are coming in, Patrick McCaw and Chris Boucher, Boucher. the Canadian. Love him. He is so fun to watch. OG Ananobi stepping up his game. Uh, but the guy I really like, and I think the guy that took a real bad rap when he got to Toronto, largely because DeRozan was really hard on him, was Serge Ibaka. And there were times where DeRozan was just on him all the time. And look, you don't get on a guy like Ibaka. He's got his own motor. And he goes 100 miles an hour, and he's a brute, and he does all the dirty work. And I think when they traded DeRozan, I saw Ibaka's confidence really go up a, a, a lot higher. And... Um, I just I like what I'm seeing. I like what I'm seeing. This is good. This early season adversity, you know, fighting all the injuries. I think it's going to be it's going to bode well for them uh, down the road. Let's see what they got, you know, and they're showcasing pieces for a trade. You know, so yeah. I really like what's going on in Toronto. I just wanted to mention that really quickly. I know they lost a tough one the other night uh, at home to Portland. Um Carmelo Anthony hit a buzzer beater, but uh, all you know, you're going to win and lose some of those when you're playing guys from 905, but uh, just wanted to give him a quick shout out. Sorry. No, hey, that's uh, that's great, and I think you're right. You're spot on. All this adversity and challenges that they're facing throughout this season are going to come into play in the playoffs, and guys are going to be more confident because they're going to have more playing time because other guys had to sit or got were hurt. So the more guys you can get in there in the rotation and get comfortable with each other, the better and and the deeper you can go in the playoffs, which you know proved well and uh, helpful last year. And, you know, and they're showcasing guys like Stanley Johnson and um, Terrence Davis, uh, McCaw, Boucher, guys that could potentially be trade bait for a stud like Andre Drummond, uh, a guy who's on the on the trade block right now, or Kevin Love, you know. So there's, there's situations out there where the Raptors can improve their team. Uh, I think I think they should if they can without mortgaging the future. So, hey, that's what you do. Show them the product. See what yep. they can get. Kevin Love seems super happy in Cleveland too, by the way. So that'll be uh, anyway. Look, look, there's what's going on in Cleveland is a, is a hot mess. The definition of a hot mess. They hired, um, I believe his name is Beeline. He coached Mi- the Michigan Wolverines for a few years. In the past, college coaches just it just doesn't work in the NBA. Billy Don- Donovan might be the exception. But, uh, you know, Rick Pitino's uh, time in the NBA was not successful. John Calipari had a cup of coffee with the uh, New Jersey Nets. Uh, again, you bring in that sort of college mentality. These are men. Um, you can't treat them like college kids. That's what's going on in Cleveland right now. Guys are pissed and they want out. Uh, he's treating them like kids. So, you know, if you're uh, if you're out there, if you're an NBA GM and you need uh, an upgrade, I think everybody can be had on, on Cleveland's roster right now. And, you know, are they bad? Yeah, they're pretty bad. But they've got some talent on their team, uh, veteran talent that could help a, a team like uh, like Toronto. So Tristan Thompson, a Canadian boy, you know, what would it take to get him out of, uh, out of Cleveland? I don't know, probably a pick or two. But who knows? He talked a little bit of shit about the Raptors, though, after they won, didn't he? Didn't he say something? Well, He's like, yeah, well, they won because uh, we weren't there to take it from them again or LeBron and moved on. He said something that I was like, eh, okay, uh, let's get Kevin yeah. Love. I'm going to get into it. I'd rather Kevin Love. I'll take him. Kevin Love's a bit more diverse, right? He's got an outside game, uh, a bit more offense than Tristan Thompson offers. But, you know, Canadian guy, big kid, rugged, is not scared of nobody. Um, that's what I like about Tristan Thompson. Nobody intimidates him. I think Kevin Love, if he goes against a guy stronger than him, like a Montrez Harrell in, uh, in Clipperland, 
you can kind of get under his skin a bit and uh and then face him out of your game just by intimidating him so that's the only that's the only catch for me with kevin love is he he seems to be easy to intimidate and uh anyway that's we're we're off topic but i you know shout out to the raptors and uh if they do make a big trade like they did you know the last couple of years getting gasol you know the the country will be right back behind him again come playoff time it's very exciting we're, nice. we're very spoiled right now with the raptors Hey, we've also been very disappointed with the Raptors for a lot of years. So let's <laughs> let's take the spoils when you got them. In the right direction. That's a that's for the Patriots fans as well because there's some tough times ahead. Anyway, uh, XFL. <laughs> <laughs> do you do we have a Vince McMahon soundbite? I feel like we can't we can't do X anything XFL without like uh, this is the uh, you know the, <laughs> this voice. I can't uh, do a Vince Vince McMahon, but. You got, you got anything I, yeah. up there? I, I was going with the... Uh, oh, that's you again. I was going with the... Uh, <laughs> uh, the Hulk Hogan. Oh, let's see. Let's entry. see it. Let's I hear was going to go with uh, his entry song. That's what we're going to go out to because the XFL. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> anyway, that'll be our, our closing song today. Okay, okay. Uh, do you want to describe to our listeners what the what we're talking about in terms of XFL? Uh, okay, I don't even know where to start. I mean, uh, this is it's a, it's a football, football league, league that is going to not directly compete with the NFL because the seasons will be different. But they were what two or three years ago? No, more than that now. Shoot, it was. It's got to be XFL? at least. Yeah, when was the last time? Ten years ago. Twenty two thousand. No. Yeah, yeah. The t- in two thousand was the first rendition of the XFL. And uh, oh, I'm old. Vince McMahon took the strategy. I think he wanted to uh, merge wrestling, you know, the uh, the antics that come with wrestling and the theatrics, and somehow implement uh, that style of entertainment into football. And I remember watching video clips of uh, commercials and promos for games. And I think actually... There was a game in L.A. where The Rock came out and did a three or four minute talk, basically dissing the NFL and he trying to get the fans hyped up. And it was like, do you smell what The Rock is cooking? And it was just it, it just didn't work on top of the fact that the product was awful. It was it was uh, hastily put together and the talent pool wasn't very deep. I think each team maybe had one or two good players, but the football at the the bottom line was the football was awful. It was not very good. To this day, sports uh, experts call that championship game that year the worst championship game ever played in the history of sports. It was boring. It was sloppy. There was turnover fest. Actually, you know who won? With the LA Extreme won, and Tommy Maddox was their quarterback. Yes, the Tommy Maddox. The Tommy Maddox. That was yeah. Uh, anyway, the league had. Uh, all the players had like nicknames. Remember, he hate me. Uh, Rod Smart, yeah, yeah. Uh, all the nicknames on the back of the jerseys. The league lost credibility in the opening kickoff because they didn't have kickoffs. They had two players run from opposite end zones to a ball that was sitting at the fifty yard line, and whoever got the ball won the 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 kickoff or the coin toss or whatever the hell it was. They got the ball first or the choice to take the ball first. And I think the first guy, somebody like dislocated his shoulder or popped his shoulder or broke his shoulder on like the Out first. Out for the season. Yeah. 
very first play of this whole league. It's crazy. And, you know, Vince Vince McMahon was on field for that, and he was he got the ball rolling with his antics, and this is the XFL, and you know he was doing his thing. This time around, he stepped away from the action. He's hired good football men and women to run the show for him. And so Andrew Luck's father is the league commissioner, very reputable guy. Uh, I think they're in the, they're going in the right direction. And you, you really, since the XFL launched this, uh, this new age version, have you heard from Vince McMahon at all? No, not at all. And that's yeah. the best thing they've done, to be honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think he, I think he's going about it the right way. And uh, like I said, the first rendition was just like they had gimmicky stuff like that. No coin toss. Let's just chase the ball and put everybody at risk. Everyone's health at risk. That being said, though, back then, and, w- and what we're going to talk about now are rule changes. Back then, they were the first league, football league, to have that on-field camera that hangs from a wire. They were the first league to try that. And we saw that this year on a couple of, I think they were Thursday night games or Sunday night games. It might have been NBC that that used that camera angle from right behind the quarterback it was a game in Pittsburgh, actually. And the XFL yeah. was the first league to try that. So, you know, innovators, they're taking chances. And, and it, it's a perfect segue into what we want to talk about. Uh, the XFL has, I guess, released a list of rules. Uh, like, it's, I'm sure it's not the full rule book, but they've some notable rules they've just released um, how and how it differs with the NFL. And Brock, I want your opinion on some of the rules you think are, are going to be uh, Make the game more entertaining, more competitive. Uh, anything come to mind? Let's should we let's just li- list off some of these yeah, rules let's here. Let's go over and, uh, some of them. I think the yeah. the biggest thing from an XFL standpoint is you can't have the same product as the NFL and try and be successful. You need to have something that uh, differentiates you and that appeals to people. Like I totally agree. The first go around when you had Vince McMahon and stuff, if you weren't a wrestling fan right away, you weren't a fan of that league. It just, that's what it was. So the fact that he is now stepping away and, and hiring the right people to do the football responsibilities gives it a bit more credibility. Now you see, okay, maybe he's, they're serious about this league. So, okay, you start looking at it a bit closer. Well, the rules. So some of the rules that uh, that have come out that are quite different from the traditional NFL, even college that we see, uh, starts right away with the kickoff. So the kickoff rules are the kicker of the kicking team will kick the ball from their own 25-yard line. So already you're uh, 10 yards back from where the NFL kicks off. But... Your the rest of your team is lined up at the opposition's 35-yard line facing their end zone. The blockers for the receiving team are lined up on the 30-yard line facing out, and the returner is back. Now the kicker kicks the ball off and it has to go in the air and it has to go in between like the 25 and the goal line or the 20-yard line in the end zone in the air, and then Nobody moves in terms of blocking or tackling until the ball is actually caught. And then you start wow. then you start your thing. It's almost like a a bigger like a Oklahoma drill kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like that uh that uh you know, five yards apart, you gotta block the guy in front of you. Um they, they penalize for kicking out of bounds. So if you kick out of bounds, it's like it's called a like a major uh 
Uh, what the hell was it? Like a major, major touchback, or or if it goes in the end zone, it's a major touchback, so it goes to the thirty-five yard line. If you kick it out of bounds, you get the ball like the forty-five yard line. So you don't want to do that. You need to kick it and you know hope for the best. But they're encouraging kick returns now. The NFL had gone away from that and moved the ball up, so there'd be a lot more touchbacks, a lot less kickoff returns, and they did that for player safety because you would have. That some of the biggest collisions happen on kickoff and kickoff returns. That's because the players are running full tilt for about 40 yards before they make contact with somebody else who's running, uh, you know, 20 yards to get you or sitting there waiting for you to smack them. Those are extreme collisions. Now, with this one, yes, there's more kickoff returns, but the fact that you're five yards apart from a blocking and tackling type situation, that, that removes... You know, the, the 40 yards of running. So and your also, speed and you know, your trajectory is way lower. I, I, yeah, and I think, you know, it, it'll resemble more like um, like an offensive and defensive lineman, you know, colliding at the line of scrimmage after a snap. It's going to look more like that. From what I'm just trying to paint a picture in my head of what you described. So there, these players, offense and defense or kicking team, receiving team will be five yards apart. That's right. So the like you said, the impact's going to be minimal. Um, it's still going to be aggressive, but it's a five-yard head start versus a, uh, you know, a, a, a whole field to run at. So, I, I, wow, I didn't, know, I did not know about um, about that uh, five-yard differential. Um, very cool. Yeah, well, it's you know what? Be it's cool. interesting to see how they do it. It's also like okay, so they can't move until the ball is caught, or three seconds after the ball touches the ground, and there's a brackets when the official uh, waves his hand down or whatever. So it's like his hands up, and as soon as the hand goes down, that's the cue, I guess, that everybody's got a chance to go. So all I can picture is like a referee in between Braveheart and the other guys and just saying, okay, <laughs> hand goes down, go to it, and then hopefully the yeah. returner gets through. I don't know. It's I gonna, like it. Hey, it's different. You know what I mean? So is it going to be exciting? Is it going to work? Like you said, it's innovative thinking to a point, and a lot of these rules, you know, if they work out well in this – could I could see being adapted in the NFL. Anyway, that's the kickoff one. That's one of the 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 biggest ones you're going to notice, and I'm very curious to see how it goes. Brock, can you can you explain the punt rules? Mm-hmm. I uh, I was reading them briefly. Uh, you know, again, you, like you had mentioned with the kickoffs, kicking out of bounds, you're going to get penalized. Uh, not in terms of a penalty, but if it goes out of bounds, you get the ball at the 45 or something something to that effect. Did you read the, some of the punt rules? Uh, the punt if- rules? No, the punt rules don't change a whole lot, I don't think. Uh, let's see if I can pull those up. Um, so, okay, the punting team cannot be released past the line of scrimmage until the ball is kicked. That's a different thing as well. Normally, in the NFL, you would snap it. Uh, gunners would be taking off and going and the... Uh, the long snapper would also be releasing really quickly because he's uncovered, um, and therefore you're you're getting down there with a chance if the ball's kicked high enough to force a fair kick or at least be uh, be able to limit the return. But now without them not being able to be released past line of scrimmage until the ball is kicked, it means there's going to be a lot more space when that returner catches the ball. Yeah. Um, the gunners must line up at the line of scrimmage and are permitted to move laterally once the ball is snapped until it is kicked. So they start, they'll, they'll do that back and forth just to try and get some leverage on the, the guy trying to block them so that they could get downfield uh, on a clear path once the ball is kicked. That's normal. 
Um, if the ball does go out of bounds inside the 35-yard line, it's called a major touchback, and the ball goes to the 35-yard line, which, you know, they want to eliminate a lot of these coffin corner kicks, which, yeah. I mean, that's a... I'm not really sure about that. You want to... When you're playing... It just seems like it's taking a lot of the field position strategy out of it. If you can cough and corner kick somebody and, and say, okay, I'm not going to go for the fourth and six. I want to try and play defense. You know, if you have a kicker that can do that, that's a, it's a pretty big part of the strategy of the game. Uh, so removing that is pretty, uh, pretty tough. Yeah. That was the one thing I had highlighted in, in my notes as the, uh, the, you know, it's a skill to kick, uh, you know, to, to, pin somebody in their own between their own five and their own one and have that ball go out of bounds. I think, I think that's the one thing out of the, out of these punting rules that I dislike is the, uh, removing that skill from a punter, uh, because it does take a lot of skill. You got to aim it. You got to take a little juice off it if you want to get them uh, pinned deep. So I wasn't a big fan of that, but I, I, you know, in terms of the comparing the punting and the kicking, I, I like what they do, what they're doing with the kicking. The punting seems a little gimmicky ish. Yeah, um, but it's uh, I guess it's designed to. You can fair catch a ball too, but obviously it's a, um, it's not favorable for you to do a fair catch at that point because you should have a lot of room to return. And yeah. um, you know if it does bounce in the end zone, you get a thirty-five. So you kind of want to avoid that. Anyway, they say statistically speaking, it's supposed to uh, create an average distance between the punt returner and the nearest defender. Uh, to 11 yards as opposed to about six yards um, with the NFL and uh, college, I guess, is probably what they were going with. But 11 yeah. yards, if you have an 11-yard uh, cushion between you and the, the defender, you got a chance to make something happen. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, whatever. That's uh, interesting. Uh, point after touchdowns. You got yeah. the, the choice of going for one, two, or three points, respectively, uh, from either the two, the five, or the ten yard line, and no kicks. No kicks. The team must run an offensive play, and no kicking plays are allowed. That's so the, uh, the place kickers out of it now. Yeah, the XFL has made kicking relevant in terms of punting and kickoffs, and they've removed the kicking element entirely from extra points. Uh, I like it. I mean, really, if you go, if you go uh, statistically speaking, you know, you have coaches of the belief that they'll go for two every time because you know your odds of getting the two are are pretty decent especially now you move that uh the kicking back to the 15 or whatever it is those are long extra points you go for a two you're still at the two and a half yard line so run the play go for two well now you can go for two uh, one two or three um which is interesting another one that's kind of interesting that's you know a little gimmicky as well uh, and it's a small window for where you can use this, but the double forward pass. So when I heard this, I thought, oh man, we are in, you know, something totally different. If you said, okay, hey, you head down, you do a button hook at 10, I'm going to hit you. You're going to turn around, you're going to launch a 50 yard bomb to the guy streaking down the, the sideline. That's a different story. Uh, the rules for this double forward pass is that if a team completes a forward pass behind the line of scrimmage, that team may throw a second forward pass as long as the ball has at no time crossed the line of scrimmage. Once the ball is passed on a scrimmage, no forward passes are permitted. So what does that do? 
all that does, they, they argue that it uh, promotes creativity. Yeah, it does to a point because it takes out that risk of um, a quarterback having to throw to receiver and maybe he's he, it's actually a forward pass as opposed to being a lateral. So either it's, uh, there's one in college where they threw it back to, actually it was in the uh, Florida-Virginia game. They threw it back to a lineman. But it actually ended up being a forward pass, so it didn't count, but he went for a touchdown. But that would have counted in this one because it's still a forward pass, and that's he could then throw the ball if he wants to. It takes out the, the risk of a fumble or the risk of a ball being thrown backwards and not being caught and being a live yeah. ball. So, yeah. you know, you shotgun it, you throw it to a wide receiver who steps back one, one yard. If he drops it, it's an incomplete forward pass. If he catches it, he could throw it one more time. I'm curious to see how they use it. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I could see something like because really, if you're a wide receiver and you and you do that pattern that you just described, take a, a you, like you, you take a step forward and you take two steps back to get behind the line of scrimmage, you catch it, and then you're supposed to have any kind of time to throw it forward. I, I things are going to happen so fast that I just don't see that happening. But what I do see happening is a play like that, a forward pass out towards a wide receiver behind the line of scrimmage and a running back scooting in behind him, a lateral pass to him and then a deep pass. So yeah, coaches can get pretty That's creative with that Those element. Shuffle passes, you know, like the speed options where they come across and yeah. they give you the ball in the front where now in the NFL, if you give that handoff, let's say that's, or, you know, a little toss up, that's a, that's a four pass. He can't do anything with it, but if he, yeah, yeah. If he comes across, you know, like a, Whatever. Kelsey comes underneath. You get one of those shovel passes. He throws it back to somebody else and now throws the ball. You know, that's all happened behind line of scrimmage. There's two forward passes technically in a lateral, which is fine. And now you're starting to get a little bit more creative. But, yeah. I, you know, I like it. I, I like it too. I, I don't think, uh, you know, uh, you're going to see offenses that are like catered around it. You know, but it's, you'll have one or two of those plays a game that keep the, the defense honest. And uh, yeah, I, I, it, what the hell, you know, what the hell? It, it seems like a low risk thing to change. Um, and it is only one forward pass. You know, it's not going to be a circus behind the line of scrimmage. So um, overtime. I can this see some issue topic. maybe of being, if you, you know, you throw something that you think is a forward pass or that you expect to be a, um, a lateral, but then that lateral is really a forward pass. So now you're doing an extra forward pass. And so ref's got to decide, was that a lateral? Was that a forward pass? And then how many is it before you throw it? If you start getting a little wild, which, you know, if you have those rules and you're in a league like this, you're doing it for strictly entertainment purposes for the most part, you're going to start getting some creativity. But I think there'll be some, uh, there might be some issues there if you start doing too many uh, laterals with the, the the forward passes, and you're really balancing that fine line between forward and, and lateral. Anyway, yada, yada. I'm just going through my head now of different offensive plays right. that I would throw in there and how creative I would get, and those are things that <laughs> came up in my mind right there. Anyway, They're going to have nine officials on the field, so they're going to have uh, lots of eyes. Uh, from what I understand, they're not, they're not going cheap on the officials. So uh, I think for the first year, that's probably a good idea with uh, these rule changes and like kickoffs. You're going to need some extra set of eyes everywhere. So, you know, what the hell? We'll see what happens. Yeah, having nine guys and and not being cheap are two different things. Uh, we've yeah. had replacement refs in the NFL, and uh, that was on the cheap. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I that think did, they should, that did not go well, everybody. By the I way, I would like that, to uh, see if you're going to do something in the XFL. No, ask TJ Lang about it. His friggin' Twitter feed went through the roof and became uh, a household name after the tweets he threw out after that uh, 
um, debacle there in Green Bay with the replacement oh, refs. But so bad. Uh, overtime, B. Overtime. Uh, hot, hot topic in the NFL. I know, you know, there's uh, a lot of people who think no matter what happens on a first uh, on a first drive, if the team scores a touchdown, that another team should have uh, uh, the ability to possess the ball. Uh, in the XFL, 100%. I believe that is the case. Yeah. So they're, uh, the XFL uh, is going a little bit differently than even uh, college, uh, the college and CFL rules where you get the ball at the 25 or 35, depending on which league it is. And uh, you're trying to get a touchdown or a field goal and the other team has a chance to match or, or beat you. Uh, the XFL rules for overtime shall consist of five rounds stage in alternating single play possessions as is customary in NHL shootouts or major league soccer penalty kicks is how they're doing it. So basically each possession starts on the opponent's five yard line and the offensive team has one play to score. The team with more points after five rounds is the winner. Uh, if a team has been mathematically eliminated before five rounds, so same idea. If you score on the yeah. first three and you know, you stop them once then is that statistically twice? You stop them twice? Stop them all three I, times? If you get three in, you stop well, them three times. Five, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Carry the two. Uh, uh, yeah, what's, the, it's, what's, what's half of a million and a half? 60 grand. All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, man. That was on my holidays. Okay. And I had some eggnog and hey. my calculator was broken. I don't blame you. Oh. You're going through your thought process that time and, uh, you know. <laughs> Brain just forgot a zero. No big deal. Yeah, no big deal. I, you know what? I, uh, I, I like it. It's different, and uh, I think the NFL is close to fixing their their overtime uh, issues. They, they are going to uh, re-examine that the competition committee, but uh, we'll see how this works out. This, this could be fun. I mean, I, you know, it's very rare that games go into overtime anyway. So I don't, I think that we're, we're, you know, blowing a lot of smoke. It's far more often we see NHL games go into overtime. Um, teams well, play it really safe, but football, we don't, you know, football, there's the, uh, you know, field goals and things can, things can change in, in even, regulation. So even worse with XFL, with the, the chance of going for one, two or three after a touchdown should, yeah. should limit the overtimes. Uh, but with this format, I want to see it uh, work. I want to see how it goes. Yeah. I'm personally, I'm an advocate of the college um, format. I like that you get a chance to, because every play, like when you're calling plays from an offensive coordinator standpoint, you're not calling plays necessarily to always be successful and score yeah. touchdowns. You're calling plays to set up other plays. So from the 25 yeah. in or 35 in, you still have a little bit of that uh, strategy that you can use. Um, but the NFL would be fine too if they just said, you know what, you sc whoever you, you score, that's great. Then the other ball, the other team gets the ball at 35 or gets the kickoff or whatever, and each person has a chance to do it. Then it's fine. But um, the way it is right now, I don't, uh, I don't think it works very well. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. There's a, a handful of other rule changes or uh, you know, you know, additions to the game. Uh, I'll just quickly scroll down these here. Uh, one I really like, I like this a lot in the CFL and in the and in the college game is uh, having uh, you just require one foot in bounds for a successful catch. Yeah, I've always been a fan of that. Uh, it, it, you talk about creativity. You can get really creative with catches if you're having to worry just about one foot in bounds versus two. Um, so big fan of that. that it's a running a game thing clock too. Just so you know, it was a it was a safety thing too that they took into consideration for the one foot versus two, because guys that are trying to keep two feet in are 
landing awkwardly because of the way they have their body, where if you only need one, then you can kind of uh, cushion that fall a bit more or be in a better yeah. spot when you're falling. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you, you can contort your body a bit more if you're pivoting on, on one foot versus two. I think it, it, it's, again, it's, uh, I think it's going to improve the creativity of the, of the league. Uh, running game clock outside of the game's final two minutes. Uh, uh, they're, they're, the whole goal is to shorten the game. They want to be short. They want their games to be shorter than the NFL games. I guess that's okay. Um, I like the fact that uh, uh, within two minutes, at least the clock will stop, but I'm a big fan of stopping the game clock. I, if the ball goes, if the player runs out of bounds or if it's an incomplete pass, the clock should stop. Uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, I want to see. If you're a fan the, of football, you want to watch more football. Like, well, that's it. I mean, you're not going to go and say, I'm spending all this time getting to the, the stadium and spending all that money doing it, uh, paying for your tickets and buying beer and food. And then you're like, oh, it, 45 minutes later, I'm out. You know, yeah. it's, 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 an, it's an experience. It's an event. You know, and, and wrestling, you know, McMahon has always been about the event and making it something big. So having a running clock and trying to get people sort of out faster seems counterintuitive to, to the way they've been successful. I agree. And, you know, one thing, this next this next rule, uh, I think, kind of eliminates the fact that you have to stop the clock. They, you know, they wouldn't have to because they have a 25-second play clock. So it's going to be a lot of action, uh, less standing around, less... TV timeouts or whatever they do. Um, and, you know, teams only have two timeouts per half. So I think those two rules alone make the last three minutes of every game far more relative. And, you know, they, you shouldn't have to have a running clock uh, with a team that only has two timeouts and 25-second play clocks. I Anyway, I I really like, I love the fact, I've, I've been an advocate of 25-second play clocks in the NFL for years. Why? Because uh, if you have a, what is it, a 40-second play clock right now in the NFL? Yeah. If yeah. you don't have any timeouts under three minutes or under two minutes, you're toast if you're losing. So it, it just, it makes the last two minutes of every game relevant if you're losing. You still have an opportunity to possess the ball again. So, um, well, yeah, you need to have, I think I like the 25-second clock. Um, but when you talk about the running time, that was one I hadn't read yet. And that just brings me back to soccer. And like the yeah. the yeah. injuries and like all oh, like this guy's milking it and whatever and now it's a time sensitive thing, so I'm I'm actually that's probably the one rule that I'm I'm actually against in terms of the running clock. Uh, if you run out of bounds or have an incomplete pass, it should stop. Um, if there's oh, there must be an injury timeout, so if there's an injury, maybe you stop the clock at that point. Um, but I don't see it in these overview rules. So unless it is stated somewhere, I think we're getting into a soccer type thing, which I don't like whatsoever. And the other thing that I really did not like, or I don't like about the NFL is that whole, uh, walking off the field with 30 seconds left because the play clock is at 40. So with the 25 seconds, that'll cut that down. But I would like to see them have to play the one more snap at zeros, like the CFL. Yes. Yes. You know, I, put in the one I'm more, you. you can't walk off. You know, you're going to have close games and it's going to be relevant. Not every game is going to be a 14 point win. Like you're going to have it. I, that's the one thing I, I just can't stand it with the NFL is the you make the last four minutes of a game completely pointless if you're up 21 and no timeouts. So I, I like where they're going. Not a big fan of the running clock um, coach to player communication devices in the helmets of all offensive skill position players and audio will be made available to the broadcasters. <laughs> 
All right. Here goes the sideshow. I love it. <laughs> I love it, man. You kidding me? You know what I mean? Like this is yeah. the equivalent of NASCAR and being able to tune into. I didn't even know you could do that. I don't watch NASCAR, yeah. but you can tune into every single car's radio on a certain station of Sirius or whatever and listen to the communication and follow. This is what that is. Yeah. 10 minute halftime. I think that's five minutes shorter than the NFL, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, it's it's five or ten minutes short of the NFL, so that's that'll go by. That goes by really quickly. Halftime so. sucks. As a player, yeah. hated half times. Half times yeah. are way too long. You know, get back, make a few adjustments. You know, take a piss, drink some water, and then get back <laughs> on the field. But before my body okay. starts to shut down, get back in. Yep, with you there. No coaches challenges. All reviews are—they're going to come from a replay official. So there'll be one dude who just who decides whether a play should be re, re, uh, reviewed or not. What do you think of that? Well, it's limited to like uh, um, you know uh, if there's a possession issue, if there's a scoring issue. So they're limited. It's not every single play uh, can be reviewed. But um, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's something yeah. the NFL will turn into. You don't have to. How many times have you had guys with challenge flags that they've already thrown that? You know, it wasn't quite enough to be overturned, but it was pretty freaking close. And then now something bigger came and they didn't have it. So review yeah. it. You know, that's what I, I'd like to see. So good. I'm glad with that. Yeah, me too. And, and the, the last one I have here on my list uh, before we, uh, we shut her down for the night is uh, something to do with linemen being able to go downfield. Let me just read it to you and maybe you can explain it to us being a former lineman. Uh, yep. Linemen are allowed to be three yards from the line of scrimmage. Uh, before being flagged for an illegal man downfield compared to one yard in the NFL. What does that mean? It just means like uh, you'll see from a lineman standpoint, and usually it doesn't mean if you're engaged with somebody. So if you're a lineman and you're on a, if you have a, a running play and you're blocking your defensive uh, counterpart and you drive his ass downfield like the blind side and you're 40 yards downfield, but you're engaged with somebody, usually yeah. they don't throw it. But on, let's say, a, a run-pass option where the linemen are firing off the ball um, like a run, they make a bit of contact, and they're trying to get to that second level, but then the quarterback goes to throw the ball. He's made that read to throw the ball. In the NFL, if you're down past a yard, you're an illegal man downfield because he's now thrown the ball, that you would be penalized for it, where now in the XFL you have at least a three-yard cushion there. So if the quarterback can't sort of make that read and get the ball out before you're three yards downfield, then you're going to be in trouble. But that's it's widening that uh, that rule. And even the NFL, you know, they say a yard, but it's to be noticeable because the line of scrimmage just seems to be changing as soon as the ball snapped anyway. It's kind of a two or three yards anyway. So this could be almost a four or five yards. Okay, so if we have any listeners who are just like unfamiliar with football rules, and, you know, we do have some people who aren't necessarily as big football fans as we are, but are trying to learn the game. Uh, if this a, if it's a pass play and one of the five linemen who's who are on the line of scrimmage who are there to protect your your quarterback's ass goes forward more than a yard in the NFL on a pass play before the pass is actually thrown, it's a penalty. Right, because that basically what it's doing is if you were throwing you know a, a crossing route or something and you sent all your linemen just. Hey, it's a quick pass. We're just getting downfield to try and block. Now you got five linemen downfield and guys trying to uh, cover and catch the ball and and do all that stuff. Where you know the the rule is if you're ineligible means ineligible means you are not eligible to catch the ball. So the quarterback cannot throw you the ball. 
because you're ineligible to catch it and make a play on it. Those are generally yeah. linemen. Those are generally linemen. The, send, the guy who snaps the ball and two, two uh, uh, of his offensive counterparts on each side of, of the center. Right. Uh, guard and a tackle on each side. Okay. All right. Wow. Well, we, we unpacked a lot today in the XFL, and I, for one, am I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see a different league. My only concern with these new leagues is that the NFL has been around for so long. You know, we have a like a passion. Uh, there's like each team has a history. We follow the team's history, players. The NFL is all about history. It's NFL, they, they, they just celebrated their 100-year anniversary. It's been nothing but history um, over the last four months on the NFL network. When you have a new league with new teams with no history and no nothing to really hang your hat on except a new name and a new uniform and a bunch of guys never played before, you, you know, I, I don't know what it takes for a team like L.A., who's playing in a city who already has two NFL teams, how are you going to attract fans to root for your team when two already exist? And two, like the Chargers and the, the Rams, have a long history of success. Um, you know, the Rams and Chargers in the AFL days and the NFL days, I mean, it, it dates back. So, you know, you're, you're up against it. What do you, what do you think it's going to take for these franchises to draw a fan base? Uh, well, one thing we did address, or you and I talked about, I think offline when the XFL started coming out, is that I was curious as to why they chose to go in cities that already had existing teams. If they had gone to cities that didn't have a big NFL draw already, then you're almost catering to a, a starving f- football fan base um, who's who needs something to, to grab onto. In these... You know, I mean, there's Chicago and San Francisco and now Vegas and New York and L.A., Tampa. Like, these are all cities that have football teams already, NFL teams. Now, they're not competing with them directly in terms of dates. Um, so there must be somebody smarter than me who's making that uh, that decision. And whether it's facilities, whether it's um, an existing fan base that's already there that loves football, and now they're saying, well, we're giving them football more months of the year. Um, but ultimately, it's going to take time. It's going to take some success in the field. It's going to take some um, uh, some highlights, some uh, some characters to stand out um, and really start to bring in the audience. But there's no there's no hand me down fandoms. There's no fathers out there who are the Orlando Rage, uh, their biggest fan. And they're they're teaching their kids to be Orlando Rage fans. It's just not. Not what it is. So it's got to be time, but it's got to be done properly. And although it failed the first time, I think these rules are are very intriguing. And I honestly, I think that the NFL and the the NFL fans um, are almost at a point where they're interested to see another product because there's over the last few years, there's been a lot of criticism on the NFL in terms of how they run things, how they... Um, they punish certain players, how they officiate games, how they, uh, how many calls have been screwed up, how many blunders uh, there have been within uh, big games of the NFL. And I, and I think that, uh, I think this could, could be okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm one of those people. I've been a huge critic of the NFL and its product, uh, the inability for a, a game to have any kind of flow. You know, usually when I'm watching games on TV week to week, 
you know, I'd say probably out of the, out of the 17 weeks, uh, maybe two games of the year are complete shootouts and awesome to watch. And the rest have no flow. The rest are too, either, uh, either a replay is taken too long or there's been a missed call and that's affected the, the integrity of the, that game. You know, I, I, I'm with you. I'm craving new talent, new eyes, new rules, but the same game, essentially the same physicality. So, and that's part of the reason I love the CFL. You know, I, I love watching the CFL because it's a, it's a slightly different game and it promotes excitement It and you're never out of it. <laughs> so uh, let's see how this goes. Uh, I'm excited. These rule changes came out and had they not have come out, I don't think we'd even be talking about the XFL. So they have guys like you and I talking about it. That's probably a good thing because we're pretty particular about what we talk about in terms of football. So um, that is true. So we, uh, yeah. Hey, I'll tune in. I'm curious to see how this works and who knows. But uh, what I do know is that uh, this show went long again, as per <laughs> normal. But that's it for us. This is the first show of 2020. I hope uh, big things over the next year, and we'll start to, uh, well, we'll continue to fine-tune our product. Um, we love any criticism, any feedback. Uh, leave us on our page. Hit us up on any emails. Um, the next over 2020 is to get a web page, an Unsportsmanlike Convo landing page, so we have one spot to send everybody. Um, next episode, we'll announce the winner of the t-shirt giveaway, uh, contest and, uh, yeah, stay tuned for, for more episodes and, uh, some, hopefully some big news over 2020. All right. And, uh, one final note, I am uh, second place in our fantasy football pool for, for someone who just sort of got joined last minute. Uh, you impressed? It was pretty good. DK Metcalf was a big, uh, a big choice, but I'm going to play him this week, so hopefully he has a bigger week because <laughs> yeah. he's done for you. Here we go. We're going out to Hulk Hogan's theme song. It's the only one I can think of. What you going to do, brother? Have a good evening, Pep. Take care. Take care.